0: Well, let me say a quick prayer, and then we will begin. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word, to learn your word, to hear from you. I pray that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. I feel like you've already encouraged my heart through the worship, and now would you encourage my heart, but then also the hearts of your people uh, through your word. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I learned, maybe like some of you, from a very young age, that I was not one of the cool kids, all right? So when I was uh, growing up, it became very apparent to me that I was not necessarily in like the kind of the cool cliques, the cool circles, uh, That didn't prevent me from trying to enter those circles, those groups of friends. Uh, But I had some, you know, limited ability to do that. Uh, And so by the time I was in high school, I still remember... My friends and I, we like went to the kind of the cool kids party to try to get in. And what happened was they they told us to leave. Uh, Now, it was actually a good thing because they weren't really the type of kids you wanted to hang out with. But that kind of sealed the deal, I guess, for, for me. Now, maybe you've had a similar experience where you weren't really in the kind of the cool kids group. Or maybe there was just another group or setting that you wanted to get into, either a good setting or a bad setting. So uh, if you recently uh, went to school or applied to get into a program, uh, perhaps uh, you, know, you, you tried to get into a school, but you didn't get into the one you wanted, uh, or perhaps there was uh, like a job that you were looking at and you were interested in getting into it, but unfortunately you weren't able to get into the job, the, the employment There's all sorts of things, front row seats, uh, box seats, uh, first class flights, everything. There's all these different groups and classes, things that we want to get into, but sometimes we just can't enter into them. Now today, we're asking a somewhat like a similar question. How do we... As followers of Jesus, how do we as believers enter into God's Sabbath rest? So this is a very good thing, God's Sabbath rest. How do we kind of get into God's vacation? How do we get into God's timeshare? How do we enter into his presence in a real and meaningful way, in a restful way? So today we're looking at that. How do I get into God's Sabbath Rest. We've been talking about Sabbath and simplicity, uh, this series, for the last couple of weeks. And today we're in Hebrews, and next week we'll be in Revelation. And the first thing that Hebrews, verses 1 through 3, tells us is that we enter God's Sabbath rest by faith, through belief, by faith. Verses 1 through 3a say this, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now this is kind of a a confusing passage, but it's, it's, it's talking about God's eternal Sabbath rest, and how there have been people uh, in the story of Scripture who have not entered that rest, and that as you and I approach this same uh, challenge, how we enter God's rest, God is showing us that we enter through faith. Now, God's Sabbath rest in verse 1 is really defined, it's set forth as eternal peace. So rest, the word rest, it means to cease work, So to stop, to to quit working, to quit your labor, but it also has this second aspect to it, and it's to share in God's heavenly rest. The word peace has like this heavenly nuance, that it's rest that we can only know through knowing God. Now, this type of rest is different than worldly rest. So uh, we're looking at the scriptures. Hebrews was written within the first probably 50, 60 years of uh, the, 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 the life of Christ. And in this time period, in kind of the, the story of, of Christianity, but also just this, this historic period, it was known as the Pax Romana. So Pax Romana just means Roman peace. Peace. And the Roman peace was this special time in Roman history from about 27 B.C. to 100 A.D., so that's about 200 years, 206 years, that the Romans had just incredible peace. They didn't have uh, big foreign nations invading their territories. There were still like minor skirmishes and things, but they, uh, they had uh, overall a uh, time of peace, no war. Uh, inside the the Roman uh, kind of uh, life and the Roman culture, there was a good judicial system. There were good rulers. The people experienced prosperity, uh, and so this is known as the Roman peace. But this isn't really a heavenly peace. This isn't a divine peace. See, during this time, even though historians call it the Pax Romana, they were still persecuting Christians. They were killing Christians. They were killing Jews. They were still crucifying thousands of people. See, God's Sabbath rest, God's eternal rest, is much different than the rest that the Romans experienced, that maybe we experience in all our culture today. See, God's Sabbath rest encompasses everything. It is external. So uh, the, the type of rest that God can bring In Sabbath rest, he's given us a picture of that that kind of end end of day's rest, the heavenly rest. It's external. It's internal. It starts within us. It's it's paternal and maternal. It's it's a rest that, that meets all of our needs. It's fraternal. There is peace between brother and brother, sister and sister. Man and woman, and it is eternal. It is a peace that lasts forever and ever. And none of us know exactly what that is right now because none of us have experienced it. But that's what Sabbath rest, God's eternal Sabbath rest can look like. Isaiah chapter 2 is written in the Old Testament about 600 years before the birth of Jesus and it gives us a glimpse, a glimpse of the kind of the end of days peace that God will one day bring about when Christ returns. Isaiah 2, 2a and 4 say, In the last days he will judge, so God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nations, nor will they train for war anymore. So it's this beautiful picture of of warriors taking their weapons and beating them into uh, tools for agriculture, to to grow fruit and vegetables, to produce real peace, a time of uh, serenity. Now, God's Sabbath is eternal, and one day he will bring about this. But ultimately, although we can enter this this rest through God, it's possible to miss out on this eternal rest. It's possible to miss out on this peace. See, our first verse in chapter 4, it warns us. It says, Be careful. Be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it of entering God's rest that's a warning the word here in the original greek is the word phobio so that's where we get the word uh, phobia it's a fear be be afraid be very afraid <laughs> Maybe some of you know that quote. It's from uh, The Fly, a movie with Jeff Goldblum. I have not actually seen it, but I watched the trailer this week. It's uh, a person who turns into a giant fly. It's pretty comical. It's pretty pretty silly. And that was the tagline for the movie. But the type of fear that our passage is talking about is pretty much the exact opposite of that fear. It's a reverential fear. It's, It's a respectful fear. It's also a fear that says, well, this is a real concern, a missing out on God's eternal peace. See, we don't want to fall short. We don't want to fall short because of the choices we make, the decisions that we follow. Because if we do, we'll miss out on God's rest, but we'll also suffer something else, we'll suffer God's judgment. Now, the author of Hebrews, we don't actually know who wrote this book. There are lots of different theories, not going to get into those today. But the author of Hebrews uh, uses the story of the nation of Israel to warn uh, kind of the the early Christians why they need to have faith and and obey God, but trust in God and, and not turn away from God. And he uses the story of the nation of Israel when they were just getting their land. So in in Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, in the early part of the Bible, uh, Moses has led the people, so he's a prophet. Moses led the nation of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt, and they head towards the promised land. And as they're about to enter the promised land, uh, they they come up to the border, and and Moses says, okay, I'm going to send 12 men to search out the promised land. It was called the land of Canaan. And Moses says, you know, go and check out, uh, check out the vegetation, what fruits they have. Bring us back juicy samples. See how strong their warriors are, how strong their, their castles are, their fortresses. Bring back a report. And so these 12 men, now Israel was made up of 12 tribes, so it was kind of symbolic. These 12 men go into the, the, the land of Canaan. And they find just a rich land full of wonderful fruit and a land rich for cultivation. It says that they actually, they pick up a clump of grapes that's so big they have to hold it on a pole between two men. And so they bring some of these things back to Moses and they give a report. They say, yes, the land is full of delicious fruits and foods and it's a wonderful land where we could settle down. But... But there are men the size of giants there. There are strong fortresses that even if we beat against, we will never enter. There are soldiers that will cast us out. They were afraid. Now, there were 10 of the 12 that gave this report, but there were two men of those 12 named Caleb and Joshua. And they said, no, have faith, trust in God. Yes, the men of that land are incredibly strong, incredibly powerful. They would beat us in an arm wrestling match. They didn't say that in the scriptures. But we can enter this land if we have faith because our God is bigger. But unfortunately, the nation of Israel rejects them. They they don't listen to Caleb, to Joshua, or even to Moses. And God says, fine. Fine. And he strikes the ten men dead that very night. And then he sentences all men and women, anyone over the age of 20, to die in the wilderness, to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they didn't believe, because they didn't have faith. And so every, it's pretty sobering, every adult over the age of 20 dies in the wilderness except for Caleb and Joshua. Joshua. And one day they do get to enter God's promised land. See, they didn't have faith. They didn't believe, so they didn't get to enter God's rest. It's a sobering story. It's a scary story. We don't want to repeat that in our lives. And so we're called to have faith to believe. But what are we supposed to have, called, what are we supposed to have faith in? Is it just faith itself? No, we're supposed to have faith in God, in Jesus Christ. And the message of the Bible, all these things are what we're called to have faith in. See, we have faith ultimately by believing the good news of Jesus Christ. So our passage talks about the gospel that was preached to them. So the gospel, the good news that was preached to them was that you know, if you trust in the Lord, if you trust in God, he will fight your battles for you. Just believe in God. But they didn't believe that message. Now, the, the good news that's, that's preached to you and me today is a little bit more fuller. We have a the picture of the whole Bible. They didn't have that. They just had some of the Old Testament books. So we have the story of Jesus. And ultimately, kind of the the good news is the whole scriptures. Uh, We can see that. We're not going to look at it today, but if you read the verses that follow ours, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, they talk about God's word. God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The good news is sort of the whole story of the scriptures, and we're called to believe that. So God calls us to express an even greater faith, an even greater trust. Now, our passage doesn't say specifically to believe in Jesus, to have faith in him. In fact, if you read the whole book of Hebrews, you you won't find anywhere in this book where it says, believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus. I think it's implied, but it's never clearly stated. Instead, Hebrews chapter 12, it says that Jesus is the author of faith. That he is the champion of faith. That he is the pioneer of faith. That he is the perfecter of faith. So Jesus, in other words, kind of created ultimately what faith is. See, faith in Hebrews, like one resource said, is persevering in the way opened by Christ. Faith is following Christ. That's what faith is in Hebrews. Hebrews 11, 1 gives us a definition of where we should place our faith and what faith it says. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So confidence in the message of the scriptures, confidence in the message of Jesus Christ, even though today we cannot see him. We enter God's Sabbath rest by faith through belief. There's a call, though, in this passage. There's a call to persevere in faith. In other words, to keep struggling with faith, even when we doubt, even when we we go through times where we're not sure if we believe. Keep believing, keep having faith. But there's another aspect to it. See, faith, uh, just pure intellectual belief is not enough. See, our faith needs to align with our actions, with how we live our lives, See, we enter God's Sabbath rest by faith, but also by obedience. Verses 3, the rest of 3 through uh, 5 say this. And yet, his works, so God's works, have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. We enter God's Sabbath rest by obedience. See, God invites us into his ongoing rest, but on his terms. So our passage just talked about creation. It talked about the seventh day. Now remember, in our sermon series, this series, a couple weeks back, we started with Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses uh one through three. And we looked at the seventh day. So God created on the six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. He ceased his labors. Now, if you read Genesis chapter 1, you see that each of those days, day one, two, three, and 4, all the way through 6, it says it was evening, and then it was morning, the first day, and then the second day. And so there's a beginning, and there's an end to each of those days. But the seventh day, there is no beginning. and Well, it, it, it begins at the end of the sixth day, but there, it's not clearly marked. There is no ending to the seventh day. And that means for God, in one kind of strange, uh, miraculous way, the seventh day is ongoing for God. So it describes more uh, a state, uh, an experience of where God is. God has finished his creation and now he's resting. And the cool thing is, is that God invites you and me to experience a little bit of that rest in this life. So when we take Sabbath breaks, when we take one day in seven, and that's how I describe kind of Sabbath for us, to rest, to worship, to relax, to be rejuvenated, to, to focus on God, to enjoy each other, we're tasting a little bit of that final ongoing Sabbath rest. We're tasting a little bit of, of God's rest that he's in right now. Now it's pretty cool that God, and the, the, he creates, he makes all of creation and then he stops and he, and he invites us to come and to enjoy his creation with him. So when Monica and I, we purchased our house about two years ago and one of the first things that I wanted to do was repaint the deck. I thought, oh, this will be an easy, quick job. <laughs> about a month later, I realized I was wrong. I I started with power washing, I got soaked, water on my face, just completely drenched, and then once that was done, I went about scraping the deck, and then I sanded the deck, and then I painted the deck different colors and multiple coats, and finally one day in early October, so I could enjoy it for the whole season <laughs> I finished it. And that was the year that we had a lot of snow. And so I was out there every day I was just shoveling the snow away because I didn't want to damage the deck. I think I damaged it with my shovel, actually. <laughs> but I did that. I did all that kind of that work, that creation, so that one day I could sit on that deck and I could invite our neighbors over, I could invite some friends over, and we could have barbecues and enjoy the weather so that we could enjoy the creation, so we could enjoy the backyard, so that we could enjoy a barbecue, so that we could enjoy the deck. Phil Vischer is the author of Veggie Tales, and he has a podcast. And in his podcast, he said something along these lines. He said, God's rest is like how you feel after buying a house. So assuming you've kind of moved all your things in and unpacked and begin to enjoy your home and invite others into your home, that's kind of what God's rest is like. And that's what he extends to you and me. He's inviting us to come to enjoy his creation, to enjoy the blue sky, the sunshine, to enjoy tomorrow. It's supposed to be a beautiful day to play corn toss, to have a barbecue. And when we do these things, when we stop and we savor God's creation and we recognize that God is the the Lord of this creation, that he created it for us to enjoy We're tasting a little bit of God's ongoing Sabbath rest. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to enjoy that? But God also sets some rules. He sets an invitation. He sends the invitation out. Just like I don't particularly want people to come over and use my deck when I'm not at home. I have some rules. God has some rules. The first and only one that really matters is putting your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, his Son. You have to love his Son if you want to enjoy his Sabbath rest. God invites us into his ongoing rest, but on his terms. See, we enter God's Sabbath rest by obedient faith, by obeying the Son. Why is this? It's because our obedience shows our belief. See, we have obedient faith, and it shows that our faith is true. Verses 6 through 7 say this, Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Our obedience shows our belief. It shows our faith. Now, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, they had uh, the good news, the gospel message proclaimed to them. Now, this message looks different than ours, as we already discussed, but they had a message that was delivered to them. So you would think that the reason they did not get into the promised land is because they did not believe that message. But notice what the Scripture says. It says they did not obey the message. They disobeyed the message, and so they did not get to enter the promised land. See, the Bible doesn't define faith and obedience separately. It says, oh, yeah, you can be a a kind of a good, believing, faithful Christian, but not obey. That's not how it works. God calls us to have an active faith, a faith that follows Christ Jesus. James uh, chapter 2 is probably the most convicting passage in the entire Bible. And it tells us how how true faith, what, what true faith really looks like. It says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith without works is dead. Our obedience shows our belief, and our disobedience shows our disbelief. It's as simple as as that and the reason we don't believe is because of a much deeper issue it's a heart issue hard heartedness our verse 7 talks about having a hard heart and that's why we don't hear his voice that's why we don't respond that's why we don't follow Jesus and this is the same mistake the Israelites made when they heard the message of God they hardened their hearts and they weren't able to enter into the promised land because they did not obey and therefore they did not believe. We don't obey sometimes. But ultimately if we disobey the message of Jesus and we reject him, the consequence is severe. It's it's death. We should be afraid. We disobey because we don't believe. And that leads to consequences. Now, many of you know the story of uh, the U.S. Uh, entering World War II. And the U.S. In, in the late 30s, early 40s, didn't really take Germany and Japan as a serious threat. Now, there were those uh, in kind of the the leadership and uh, and among the people who did believe that Germany and Japan were a serious serious threat. But they didn't join, World War II started in 1939, the US didn't join till December 7th, 1941. What happened on that day? It was a beautiful Sunday morning, probably a lot like what tomorrow will look like, blue sky, sunny. And that's the morning that the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, They flew in, planes roaring, and killed 2,403 people. See, up till till this point, the U.S. had put embargoes on Japan. They had had helped form the League of Nations. They hadn't joined the League of Nations to kind of fight these these powers. See, they went through the motions, kind of in, in, in voice they said, oh, we take this problem seriously. But there was no true belief. There was no true kind of taking the set the the threat seriously there was no true obedience see the the consequence of not taking God seriously of not obeying him is much more serious than Pearl Harbor that was a tragedy but the consequence of not taking God seriously not believing and obeying is eternal damnation that's really what it is. I defined peace earlier, the peace that God offers is, as internal, as external, as paternal, maternal, uh, as fraternal and uh, eternal. And it's just the opposite if you reject God. There is no peace on the inside. There will be no peace in the outside circumstances. There will be no relationships that you can have. This is what hell is like. And it is, it is eternal. It is forever. But there's hope. None of us, none of us have to enter that torment. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's grace, my friend. That is a call that says, today is still today. Christ has not returned. You have not passed. You are not dead. There is still hope to repent and believe and follow Christ. See, God is extending us a peace treaty, saying there does not have to be judgment. There can be grace. I welcome you home. We enter God's Sabbath rest by faith and obedience, but really it's, it's faithful. It's faithful obedience. It's, it's faith that, that is accompanied by true and active whole life following Christ. And so my 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 encouragement to, to you today, my urge, my call is to persevere, persevere in faith and persevere in obedience. And so now the temptation is to think, oh well I have to earn my salvation, I have to go about and do all these good works or I don't get to enter into God's eternal Sabbath rest. And that's actually not the case either. See we're looking for a faith that's alive, that's active. And this is the call of the final section. Persevere in faith and obedience till you enter God's rest. Verses 8 through 11 say this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. See, we can persevere in faith and obedience because God has already persevered for us. Now, 40 years after the nation of Israel uh, was kind of put into this wilderness exile, they came back to the promised land. They came back to the land of Canaan. There it was a whole new generation, and they were kind of challenged with the same choice. Am I going to trust in God? Am I going to do it God's way, or am I going to do it my way? And, and the good news was that God was encouraging them that, Really, I am am the one who is is blazing the trail for for you. You can trust in me. This is the encouragement that God gave his people. It said, the Lord himself, he goes before you. Uh, The the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God spoke this. He said this to, to the nation of Israel. This was for them to hear and it's a it's the same call for us because this is the good news of the gospel that God has gone before us, he has he has uh, he has obeyed on our behalf. And how does he do that? He does it through Christ Jesus. See, Christ Jesus is, is God. He was born in a manger, and he lived his entire life perfectly obedient. Perfectly in faith. Jesus had the perfect faith, and he had the perfect obedience. And he honored God with every moment of every day. He never blew it once. And then one day, he was crucified on a cross. But on that cross, he was paying the penalty for our sins, He was dying so that you and I don't have to. See, he was dying for our disobedience. He was dying for our unbelief. And the good news is that Jesus rose again three days later in victory over sin, in victory over death, in disobedience, in disbelief. And so now if you trust in Christ, you get all of his account. You get every good thing Jesus ever did, every good moment he ever lived every belief about god that was true that he ever believed you get it in your accounts it's as if god looks at you and says wow here is someone who looks exactly like christ who has always obeyed who has always had faith every moment every day forever this is what we get through trusting in christ see the call to the call to obey is really a call to live out what we have already lived through christ <laughs> Christ has already accomplished our obedience. He has already accomplished our faith. And so when we put our faith in Christ, we're saying, this is too big. I can't do it, but Jesus can. Our passage actually points to Christ when it talks about Joshua. Joshua in the Greek is the exact same name as Jesus. They are spelled the exact same way. Joshua led the people into the land. You know what happened? They died. They got the land, but they died of their sins. They they, they just died. They grew old. And it wasn't the final promised land, but we we need a new Joshua. We need a second Joshua, and that Joshua is Jesus. He leads us into the eternal promised land, into the Sabbath rest that will last forever and ever when Christ returns. Persevere in faith and obedience because you already have in Jesus Christ. He has entered God's rest. He ascended. He's seated in heaven. And he's calling you to just persevere. Keep going. Work it out. Because I already have. And as we follow Jesus throughout our years as throughout our days, we get to experience a taste of that future now. We get to experience a taste of that peace that we can only know through knowing Christ. That's why rest follows Jesus. You and I follow Jesus, and we do that. We experience true rest. Do you follow Jesus? Do you know him? If not, you can begin today. You can put your faith in him right now and begin to believe and obey. It begins with repentance, saying, God, I'm broken, I'm sinful. I can never live up to your standards. But Jesus did, and I put my trust in him. Persevere in faith and obedience till you enter God's rest. What's one way you can express faith in Christ this week? Maybe it's by uh, just trusting in him, by saying, you know, I, I do believe in him. I'm going to spend time in prayer just, just calling on him, speaking to him. I'm going to remember that Christ loves me. I'm going to, to maybe read or, or tell someone about Christ. This is a way that we can remember the faith that we have in Jesus this week. How about what's one way that you can obey God this week. Well, the first part is if you know that you're disobeying God, you can say, God, I'm sorry, help me, help me change, help me believe, help me believe and obey. Another way that you can obey tomorrow is by taking a day of rest, a a day to relax and reflect, to worship God, to 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 enjoy life, to be refreshed. That's right, your homework assignment is to do nothing because that's a reminder of the salvation that we have in Jesus, that he has done it all on our behalf. Just rest. Persevere in faith and obedience till you enter God's rest. This series, this is kind of my final thought for the series. Next week we're going to have a guest preacher. Please come and listen to him. He's going to be great. But this series has been very challenging, learning about Sabbath and simplicity for me. Because I am not good at taking a day to rest. I am not good at at taking a day and reminding myself that I am not God. Because that's really what the Sabbath is. I don't know if I do my Sabbath rest right. Some days I play Xbox and watch movies and don't take many steps. Other days I go for a walk with my wife and I Read my Bible and, and enjoy the outdoors and maybe go shopping. See, but the key is, is to work it out. And fear and trembling, seeking to obey, seeking to believe, seeking to grow in Christ, and recognizing that none of us are ever going to take a Sabbath rest perfectly, but we don't have to because Christ already did it for us. That's the gospel. So come, persevere in faith, persevere in obedience until one day you enter God's rest. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be challenged by your word, to be called to believe, but also be called to obey. It's it's a steep call, Lord. Thank you for doing it on our behalf, and yet somehow you still call us. You call us to these things. Lord, would you bless this congregation, these people, with true Sabbath rest, with tasting it today, and when they die or you return, entering into it forever. We look forward to that day. God, we give you our tithes. We give you our offerings as a a symbol of the ways that we are grateful for everything you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.